Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob and Yard Live. I'm the pastor of Denver Bible Church. Today we're going to talk about the increasing acceptance of immorality by Christians. And of course, for those who care about what the Lord has revealed to us and his concern for us, then these will be warnings of things to watch out for at your church, in your family, among your friends, in your own life. As the Bible says, we're encouraged to ask God to search us. Search me, O Lord. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in your everlasting way. So there is increasing acceptance of immorality by Christians. This is obvious. It's overt. It has been clear to us as we have interacted with Christians for going on 30 years now on this program, Bob and Yurt Live, Christians and churches, Christian leaders from all over this country and then, of course, beyond our shores. So, for example, there is the false claim that entertainment with nudity is not sinful. And who makes that false claim, either overtly or implicitly? It's the typical churchgoer who does, who watches either satellite or cable TV or Netflix or whatever the streaming service is that provides pornography for your entertainment. Soft porn, they call it, but soft porn plays hardball and destroys lives. How about this? The false claim. So that's first, the false claim that Entertainment with nudity is not sinful. The false claim that shacking up is not sinful. A man and a woman who are not married and who are living together or just fornicating on occasion from time to time. Remember, Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well in the Gospel of John chapter 4, and she very quickly found out that the Lord knew that she's living with a guy who she's not married to. And what's happened today is that churches, rather than take God's instruction, God's counsel in the Bible to rebuke those who are in sin, hopefully then they'll repent But if they will not repent, then disfellowship them. Christians have decided that they know better than God. I'm talking about many church leaders. And that if they were to obey God on that, then these people would not be coming to church every Sunday. And then how could we possibly influence them if they're not coming to church? Well, guess what? They need God's influence in their life much more than your disobedient influence. And so there's also the conflict of interest where a church leader who looks at the church budget, their financial obligations, and thinks, well, if this couple, if they're not coming to church, 
and obviously they're not going to be putting money in the collection plate, and our church does so much good, we need that money so badly. And so as soon as a Christian begins to think like that, they're back in the times of the temple harlots. Because the temple harlots, they would bring in revenue for the church. And so a pastor who thinks, yeah, that guy is sleeping with that woman, but really, by us having her continue to attend our church, she's like a fundraiser for us. So the temple harlot idea was always incredibly wicked, and when it is imported into the church, it's much more wicked. So fornication is a sin, being together physically without being married, shacking up, living together is a sin, and so we have this increased acceptance of immorality by Christians, not only individual Christians, but then even Christian leaders. And it seems like the larger the church, the more likely that they're determined to disobey God on that matter. And then a little leaven leavens the whole lump, God warns us in his word, in this context, so that you make a justification. The pastor makes an excuse why uh, he's going to welcome you know, members who say they're members of the church, they say they're Christians, and they're living together. He's going to welcome them, and before you know it, then uh, his daughter moves in with some guy. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. How about this? The false claim that polygamy is not sinful. Right? And that has to do with the government's role in marriage. And so what we're going to do in a, in a few minutes is we're going to address that topic directly. But many Christians have been seduced by the immoral, godless, libertarian party, which if you look at their platform, right, the libertarian platform is pro-choice. It opposes a ban on the dismembering of unborn children. The Libertarian Party is pro the homosexual agenda. The Libertarian Party is pro-suicide, euthanasia. The Libertarian Party is pro the decriminalization, or they would say the legalization of prostitution. So of crack cocaine, of adultery. And so take all these issues that are not only sins, they're also crimes, right? And the Libertarian Party officially promotes legalized child-killing abortion, pornography, adultery, crack cocaine, of course marijuana, suicide, euthanasia, prostitution, polygamy, and it just goes on and on. And so, tragically, what has happened is because Christians do not, generally speaking, Christians do not have a strong foundation in the Word of God. They don't know what God has said about principles of governance. They don't know what God has said about jurisprudence, about criminal justice, generally speaking. They might know a slight 
snippet here or there, but much of what they think they know is wrong. Like Christian leaders on the radio will say, well, in the Old Testament, it says that if a couple is fornicating, they should be put to death. It doesn't say that. Why would Christians so often, I've heard that on and off over the decades, why would Christians misrepresent God's word in that way? And the answer is obvious, because they want to be justified in ignoring everything God said about government and criminal justice in the Old Testament, so that if they could smear the Old Testament, and I'm talking about some of our greatest Christian leaders, if they could smear God's word in the Old Testament, then, well, of course they don't have a responsibility. Of course their supporters don't need to look to them for what does God say about these issues, and then they could go along with whatever is their popular politician of the moment or party of the moment. And so Christians frustrated with the Republicans, who wouldn't be, of those who know right from wrong, and discussed it with the Democrats, who wouldn't be, of those who know right from wrong, then they think, well, the Libertarian Party, they're becoming more popular, and they're for low taxes, so, hey, I'm a Libertarian. And they have almost no concept of what that even means. And so they throw in with an utterly godless, immoral, and wicked party as their platform makes exceedingly clear. And then the Libertarian Party will nominate politicians who are duplicitous regarding abortion. And they'll say things that make pro-lifers, people who are against abortion, make them think that they're going to end abortion. But in reality, they're speaking almost in code to those who are pro-choice, or so-called pro the slaughter of innocent children. And they realize, hey, I don't have anything to fear from this candidate. Sort of like the Republicans who put it in the Abolish Obamacare, Repeal Obamacare bill back in February 2017, that they were going to defund Planned Parenthood. And they knew the bill is not going to pass. So in the bills that are not going to pass, they defund Planned Parenthood. They've been doing that for 30 years. And the bills that are going to pass, they fully fund Planned Parenthood. See how that works? And then we have fools for leaders, and those fools for leaders point to when they defunded Planned Parenthood and the bills that are not going to pass. And they say, that's my guy. That's my guy. And we say, well, how about when they fully funded Planned Parenthood and the bills that did pass? And they say, what's wrong with you? Why are you talking like that? Don't you see what they did in this bill over here? So at any rate, you have an increasing acceptance of immorality by Christians regarding entertainment with nudity, regarding the false claim that shacking up is not sinful, regarding even the false claim that polygamy, it's, it's none of the government's business, it's none of anyone's business, so even polygamy is not sinful. What, that's one man with multiple wives. What are we going to also have, one woman with multiple husbands? Hey, if, it has no, if the government has no say in it, and if we're libertarians, do you see when you 
oppose the foundation of governance, criminal justice, and morality that's in the scriptures. Oppose it either through intentional ignorance that you don't want to know what it is, or through outright disagreement. I know what God said about these issues, and I just disagree with him. Either way, you are bringing destruction on the sphere of influence that's around you. And because of social media, our sphere of influence, sometimes we influence someone who's a thousand miles away that we'll never meet. We don't even know they exist. And we espouse some kind of immorality in some flippant post. And they take that and they say, yeah, that's a good point. And then they base a decision on that. And on Judgment Day, all this comes back. So there's the false claim that consuming pornography is not sinful, just outright pornography. And we have Jesus teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount that not only is adultery wrong, but to desire in your heart something that is not right to desire because it's not yours. It's not it, it cannot be right for it to be yours, and yet you lust after it. That's sin, of course. We have the false claim that homosexuality is not sinful. That's widespread. On our website, we have our superfluous list of Christians and conservatives going gay. This false claim that homosexuality is not sinful. By the way, that's at kgov.com superfluous. And then there is this version that's widespread that it's okay to have homosexual desires as long as you don't act on it. And that, of course, is completely contrary to what Jesus Christ taught in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the desire of your heart that is the sin. So let me change to a different topic to illustrate. If, if there is a pedophile who desires children, is that okay to desire children as long as he doesn't act on it? Maybe you'll put him in charge of your church's children's ministry because he's not acting on it. And so the sin that we commit begins in our heart, in our mind. The false claim that it would be right to decriminalize prostitution. Hey, there was a South Carolina megachurch that said that actually it was their assistant pastor, for example. Yeah, why not decriminalize prostitution? Because uh, it's consenting adults, right? And you can't legislate morality. And what right does the government have to tell us what we can or cannot do with our own bodies? And don't you realize it'll bring in more revenue if we tax it? And there you have the temple harlot back. The false claim that you don't need to be legally married, right? You only have to be married before God. The false claim of all things that social nudity is not sinful, right? There's the whole Christian nudism movement. Isn't that wonderful? I debated one of those nuts at uh, on this program some years ago. 
The show is titled Bob Debates a Naked Belizean. And you can find that at our list of all our debates, kgov.com slash debates. So I'd like to talk a bit about the government's role, actually the biblical role of government in marriage. But first, a reminder for folks in the Denver area and then folks around the country if you live in the Denver area, tomorrow evening, there is going to be a Planned Parenthood executive speaking at a Lutheran church. It is so despicable that this is happening. One of the leaders of the child-killing industry speaking at the Holy Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lakewood on Kipling and Ninth. Kipling and Ninth in Lakewood. Tomorrow, I plan to be there, Lord willing. We always say, Lord willing, to remind ourselves to be humble before him if Jesus decides to return. uh, He would interfere with our plans. And that would be awesome. So, Lord willing, tomorrow night at 5 o'clock from 5 to 7 o'clock. 7 is when... The Planned Parenthood of the Rockies CEO will be speaking, Vicki Cowart. And the event itself starts at 5.30. So I plan to be there from perhaps 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock. If you're working, you want to come, you can't get there at 5, please do your best to get there sometime as soon as you can before 7 o'clock. And uh, the fellowship, uh, the encouragement that we give one another, the prayer, and then also the very brief opportunity at times to speak with people who are going there, to confront the church and the child killers, both. And in this case, the church that is coddling and encouraging child killers, encouraging child killers. Could you imagine that? You know, there were a lot of Lutheran churches in Germany. And the Nazis, they didn't exactly get a full-voiced opposition from the Lutheran church in Germany. In fact, those who actually did fight and risk even their lives to save the Jews in Germany, the typical statement by those heroes, those champions, the righteous of the Gentiles, they're sometimes called, their typical assessment is that they did so little and they should have done so much more. And that's the sentiment of someone who's humble and devastated by what's happened in history and on their watch. The typical sentiment of the church, the organization, the leaders, the pastors, the bishops, the denominations who did very little, their typical sentiment is we did everything we could possibly do. We did everything we could do. Do you see the difference? And so with God, it's so clear to God with all the arguments that we make And our arguments fall to the floor. There is nothing. 
our study in the book of Job, verse by verse through the book of Job. What a study that is. And Job, at first he's strong, but then he gets bad counsel, and he begins to turn against the Lord. And he begins to say that, given the opportunity, Job could make his case against God to justify himself and his thoughts, his attitudes. And so then finally, God says, all right, you want to make your case? Here I am. And to paraphrase Job, basically, his defense, it was, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me, Lord. I'm so sorry. That was it. So the arguments that we come up with when they're in opposition to the word of God, they are as nothing. So the biblical role of government and marriage, for example, right? Who has the authority to grant permission for people to marry? Some claim that only the church has authority to preside over weddings. Yet in modern times, most people willingly submit to the government as the official certifier of marriage. There is a, uh, in the Denver area, there's a barista. You know what a barista is? Leanna Aberl. And she said this. She said, marriage is a covenant not only between the man, the woman, and God, but also with the whole world. That's true. Marriage is a covenant between the man, the woman, God, and the whole world. Others, however, claim that the authority to marry lies solely with the two individuals involved. So, let's think about this. We'll think about the government's role in certifying marriage. Okay, some folks offer arguments against that. They say that God instituted marriage and therefore certification of marriage is a church function because God instituted it. And they say government is typically corrupt and can't be trusted and will ruin marriage or even forbid marriage possibly. And they say that by submitting to government licensing, right, of marriage, people are handing their family over to the state. Those are arguments that are used against the government's role in certifying marriage. Now, arguments for the government's role in certifying marriage are that God instituted the family, including marriage, the church, and government. Do you get that? When someone argues that The government has no role with marriage because God instituted marriage. They forget that God instituted government also. So then what? The government has no role in government? Should we be anarchist? See, anarchy is another reaction. It's reactionary. Frustration with either the Republicans or the Democrats or the government generally leads people to then lash out intellectually, ignorant of the scriptures, in just the most rebellious position that they can think of. And and the opposite of anything is what I support, right? It's like all the mental illness 
with the conspiracy theories that we didn't go to the moon. So the government says we went to the moon. So it's the opposite disease. So we didn't go to the moon. The government says that Islamic terrorists attacked us on 9-11. We weren't attacked. The government says that the earth goes around the sun. Uh, The earth doesn't go around the sun. The government says the earth is a sphere. Well, the earth must be flat. The government says there's gravity. Well, there must be no gravity. See, it's the opposite syndrome. It's a form of mental illness. So God instituted family, marriage, church, and government. Marriage is a covenant not only between the couple and God, but also with the whole world. When a woman is married, every other man needs to not attempt to enter into a romantic relationship with her. If a man does attempt to do so, that's not only a sin, it's also a crime. The whole world must therefore treat a married couple differently than they treat two unmarried people. A marriage is either lawful or unlawful. An enforcement of legality is the government's domain. To administer marriage requires the potential use of force, including to prevent incestuous marriage, for example. The administration of divorce, division of property, and child custody also potentially requires force. Only government can use administrative force, that is, compel appearance, enforce rulings, and so on. Only government can compel testimony regarding marital status, child custody, and so on. God requires marriage for sexual relations even in nations with no church presence. Right? Even if a nation is virtually godless, has almost no Christian presence, no church presence, still God requires marriage for that nation for physical intimacy. And that's because of God's love for those adults and for the children who will come from many of those physical unions. Government began as the patriarchal administration of tribes as mankind dispersed globally. That's how government began. Throughout human history, all cultures have recognized marriage, including pagan societies. The book of Exodus implies that God saw the marriage of the pagan Potiphar as sacred and something that should not be violated. Jesus said the Samaritans did not know God, but he recognized their divorce and remarriage. John chapter 4. A divorced Samaritan woman's cohabitation did not make the man her husband. Jesus agreed. Right, 3,500 years of Judeo-Christian history since Moses recognized adultery as not only a sin but as a crime. It's been 3,500 years and only recently have we decriminalized adultery. Do you understand the implication of that? 
Adultery is not only a sin, it's a crime. It is a crime, and it requires the government to enforce that. So now that the government says, well, we support abortion, what, should we decriminalize murder? Totally? Just because the government has now supported adultery, then that means we Christians should join in and say, hey, let's bring that to the max. Judeo-Christian legal history still recognizes prostitution as not only a sin, but as a crime. Government prohibition of prostitution is related to its certification of marriage. Think about that. I'm going to put all of this in today's show summary, and I encourage you to check it out. Hey, also, tomorrow night, protest, Kipling and Ninth, Friday night at Denver Bible Church creation event, and Saturday, January 20th, our March for Abolition. God bless you.